Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanick with Figured Out Baseball. We've got a really good Figured Out Baseball podcast today that I'm excited for. Uh, we've got Edwin Thompson today on the phone with us. He's the head coach at Eastern Kentucky, a Division One school in the Ohio, the Ohio Valley Conference, which is a conference that I used to coach in, so I've got some familiarity there, although he was hired after I left. Uh, I'll give you a quick background on Coach Thompson before we jump into questions with him. He's a native of Jay, Maine. He played collegiately at Howard University, a Division One school uh, in Washington, D.C., before they dropped the, they dropped baseball while he was there. Then he transferred to the University of Maryland and finished his career at Weber International University, an NAIA school in Florida. Uh, he played one season of independent baseball after he was done collegiately. He started his coaching career in college from 2005 to 2008 as the associate head coach and recruiting coordinator at the University of Maine at Farmington, a Division III school, obviously, in Maine. Uh, from 2009 and 10, he was the head coach at head coach at Bates College, a Division III school in Lewiston, Maine. From there, he was hired to be the recruiting coordinator at Duke uh, in North Carolina, obviously part of the ACC. His 2012 class at Duke was ranked uh, by Baseball America as one of the top recruiting classes in the South and was ranked by Perfect Game uh, in Perfect Game's top 35. From 2013 through 15, he was an assistant coach at Georgia State. He was the pitching coach for the first two seasons and then transitioned to be the recruiting coordinator and defensive coordinator in 2015, his last spring there. His 2015 class at Georgia State was ranked in Perfect Game's top 100 recruiting classes. He was hired at Eastern Kentucky in July of 2015. 2016, his first spring at Eastern Kentucky, they beat two nationally ranked teams. Uh, they had a player who broke the school record for walks and home runs that year, who was a 21st-round draft pick by the A's. They also had a 17th-round draft pick uh, that year by the Yankees, who led the nation in hits. In 2017, he coached an All-American who was also uh, voted the co-conference player of the year. He was a 21st-round draft pick by the Marlins uh, in the same season as he, that he broke the school single-season record for home runs. In 2018, the team won 30 games. He had an All-American that year who finished as a finalist for the Johnny Bench Award, which is given every year to the nation's best catcher. Uh, that, that player was also a 15th-round draft pick in 2018. Then in 2019, they won 32 games. They had 16 uh, conference wins that year, which was the most conference wins since 2013. They had a sixth-round draft pick on the mound, uh, drafted by the Dodgers, the highest draft pick at Eastern Kentucky since 2008. That player also broke the school record for ERA with a 0 0.83 mark. Um, he was voted an All-American, obviously, for those, uh, for those numbers that he put up. They had another player who broke the single-season record for uh, walks, they, as a team, broke the single-season record for strikeouts. That was the third straight season the pitching staff broke the school record for strikeouts. They had the best team ERA in 2019 since 2008. Uh, 2019 was also their fourth straight season as a team where they won the ABCA's Team Academic Excellence Award. Um, 2020, they, they started off really hot. They started off 12-2 and two before the season was cut short. Uh, overall, Coach Thompson has coached more than 20 players who have been voted All-Americans. He's coached 42 players who have, been, uh, who have moved on to play professionally. And in his time at Eastern Kentucky, they have beat five nationally ranked teams, which is always impressive for, uh, for a, a mid-major who doesn't get to play nationally ranked teams a lot. You don't usually have a lot of nationally ranked teams in the conference. Um, so very impressive. Coach Thompson, I really appreciate you being on the podcast with us today. Hey, Jeff, I uh, appreciate you having me on and uh, excited to talk some baseball today. So uh, thanks for that uh, introduction. And uh, obviously, I have a lot of great players and great coaches that uh, make that sound a lot better than really what it is. So I appreciate that uh, welcoming. We all appreciate the humbleness. Uh, and and it's, it's genuine with Coach Thompson. If you haven't met him before, it's it's all genuine. That's one of the reasons I was excited to, to get you on a podcast. Uh, Coach Thompson, I usually like to start with something from – the bio that sticks out, and, and for you, this is always something that I'm very interested in, uh, moving from being a Division three head coach to being an assistant coach in the ACC, and then a couple years later, you're hired as a Division one head coach. Um, I know you had another stop in the middle there, but can you, can you kind of tell us how that, how that happened? I know there are, uh, you know, a, a, a job opens up at a place like Duke, and I'm sure there are hundreds upon hundreds of resumes pouring in there. Uh, can you kind of talk us through what happened there and just how you separated yourself and how you ended up getting the job at Duke, which uh, I'm sure that you would say kind of changed the trajectory of your of your college coaching career? 
perspective when guys get a job like that they get a job in a, in a major conference it can really uh, it helps a lot you know when you're trying to move on and get the next job and eventually get a head coaching job but I but I would like to ask just about even the head coaching position at Eastern Kentucky um, this is just again something I like to talk about and, and you and I have talked about this uh, before we started recording but just the interview process how you get jobs how you move up from place to place uh, did you ever get any indication of what separated you from other candidates for this head coaching job at Eastern Kentucky or have any idea what, you know, what exactly it was that made the committee decide to hire you? So I think the biggest thing that I took from that, that experience when I was at Duke and I was at Georgia State, uh, it allowed me to have some, I, I also interviewed for a couple of head jobs prior to this. Um, so I didn't get the, I was finalist for two or three of them, but I didn't get the job. But I took that information and I really worked on just my presentation to make sure everything was sharp. Uh, and I think going to Eastern Kentucky, I felt that I was ready. And then growing up in Maine, um, we, we, we were, you know, we grew up with cold, cold weather, short season, um, not much, not many resources for, especially at the division three level when I first started coaching. And so at Eastern Kentucky, we didn't have a ton of all the bells and whistles, let's just say. Um, it was a, a humbling job in the sense that it was division one, but at the same time, it needed some work. And, you know, and I think some coaches would make excuses about certain things. And I, I think for me, I've always been one to focus on what I have and what I don't have. And so it was all perspective. And I think at Georgia State, we had to travel uh, off campus to go to to, to, uh, to our field. At Duke, we had a campus on campus, but we also had to travel off campus to travel. Uh, everywhere I've gone, I have always had something we had to do. And EKU, the field was right on campus. My office was right in the basketball arena. I could look outside and I could, I mean, walk across the street, across the street or the parking lot. And so I was so excited about that. And AD was like, "What about the facilities?" I'm like, "Well, it's everything that we need. We have uh, lights, we have turf, we have field. It's great. Stands may need some work, and some, you know, some dugouts may need to be, may need to be painted." But so I think that 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 my had openness of that was like, "Hey, this is this is a dream job." 
you know, really. And I, that's how I approach it because it was. It was an opportunity to be one of 300 Division One head coaches, and uh, I think that that really allowed me to have the, uh, you know, a little bit of an in, if you will, through the process. And then I think over time, then you know, it kind of worked itself out to, to, to rise up to get the job. Now, with you, when you're hiring assistant coaches, uh, I know you've had to hire quite a few of them, and, and uh, you've been through the process, and you've had it, I'm sure at Bates as well, Bates and Eastern Kentucky, you've had to hire people. Um, well, I assume you did Bates. I guess I don't know that for sure. But when you're going through candidates, you're flipping through candidates, I'm sure you get a ton of resumes, and, and probably a lot of them are easy to throw out just for one reason or another. When you're sort of narrowing things down, um, just – just let's just start with resumes, looking at resumes and deciding like, okay, these are some people that I'm going to sort of, uh, I'm going to lock in on and they seem like good candidates. What are some things you like to see on resumes, if there's anything in particular? Well, I think honestly, the what I've learned through the process of hiring people um, is you have a list of people that you want to work with and you have that list. Every, every coach should have a list of people they want to hire. So you start with those people first and then, um, fortunately, with social media, or for good or bad, it, it sometimes will get out sooner than you want it to as far as the, the person leaving for that job. And then you kind of get, you know, a lot of phone messages, text messages, emails, and then, so then you kind of filter through that. Uh, but when I, when I actually get an email, a resume, and uh, I just have to go through it and just see what if their skill set initially, you know, fits what I'm looking for, whether it be a positional coach or just their overall experience, but at the same time, Having been a Division three coach, having been a high school coach, um, I don't get caught up into where they've coached. You know, I've really tried to limit that because I think you can get caught up in, oh, the guy coached at this school and that guy, you know, such a big school or played professionally or, or whatever. To me, it's about the you know, substance of the person. So once I initially wait, wait, you know, go through all that process with the resumes and see what, you know, if they have, they have some sort of experience, if, if it's a job that I'm, you know, hiring. And, and then and then it comes down to, you know, getting to know that person, talking to them on the phone, talking to their references, uh, even I'll even call their former players and kind of get a sense of uh, what, what, how that person, how that coach interacts with adversity uh, and things of that nature. So it's just a, it's a combination of things. Um, you know, I have your list. You have, a, you know, some friends that may reach out and, and pass along information and try to filter through that and then try, try to get down to the person that, couple, three, four people that I think are the best fit and then kind of go from there and then, you know, hopefully get the right candidate. Do camps still work as networking opportunities for guys like it did for you? Is that something that still happens the way that, uh, I don't know, the way that the game is now or the way that camps are run? Like, is that, you know, when you guys hold camps, do you, as sort of a secondary focus, try to get to know the people that are working and, and think, like, do I have a possible future you know, hiring candidate here. Is that, is that still something that happens in today's game? Yeah, it is. My, uh, my first year, um, my, my, my volunteer that I hired, Eric Smith, is now the recruiting coordinator at Youngstown State. Uh, I hired him because we connected at a camp. Uh, my third and I think our fourth or so volunteer or assistant coach we've had is based off through, through camps. And so I think the networking that goes on at camps, it's so critical, especially for young coaches. Um, I try to hire young coaches at my camps, and I watch them, and I watch how they work, and I watch how they do. They go about their business, and so um, that, that that the model has changed a little bit because it's not as uh, as many. There's more just tournaments and games and things. So I think that part's been hurt hurt our game a little bit, especially over the winter time. There's not as many of those old. You can have tons of winter camps, and I think those things are you know were great as an assistant. Um, so I think there's definitely things have changed, but there's still opportunity. I think every camp you go to, um, there's an opportunity to meet somebody new, to recruit somebody different. Um, but it, again, uh, it has to come down to that individual that, that wants that. Some kids, some some coach would just go to the camp and have no idea, you know, what they're looking for. They, you know, I, I actually interviewed one guy who we met as an assistant together. And then two years later, I actually called him to, to get a job. And then other coaches that I saw at that same camp, I saw how they worked, and I was like, you know what, it's not going to work out for, for you because I saw how you work when you know, when nobody's watching, so to speak, even though I was watching. So I always kind of keep an eye on those type of things, but I think it's definitely important to network and have those opportunities for camps for sure. If you're watching how guys work at camps, what impresses you when you're watching a young guy work? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is it's professionalism. Uh, I mean, are they going to be at that camp with an intent to recruit the players? 
to help the players? Are they engaged with the players? Um, you know, I think coming up for me when I was young, a younger coach in the sense of just years, I valued those camps because I felt that it was an opportunity to coach maybe, especially as a Division three coach, maybe some Division one players that were, you know, maybe I can recruit them, maybe I can't, but at least I can, you know, put, you know, put myself in that situation to coach them at some point. That was my, always my goal. But at the same time, I, I was engaged with the kids. I really took every. I always, I always told by my mentor to to take notes on every single kid because you'll never know what kid is going to end up where and where you're going to end up. You know, in a job or who even may get hired. I mean, I got hired at Duke, uh, but I had a list of names of Division One players that Duke was recruiting or that I was already recruiting, and it kind of blended in. And I, I had a long list of kids that I would circle and be like, I'd be like. Division one, or I, I kind of just kind of filter in, and so I think those type of little things that young coaches don't always know, but it's important because you never know who's watching or who runs the camp. Can I I can call that person and I'll say, hey, how's this person work for you? And they'll say, yeah, he's kind of lazy, kind of not really paying attention, just kind of hang out in the bucket, like. And so I think those guys, um, you know, they, they go to camp for other reasons, which is fine to make money, and that's fine, but. I'm always, I always took it upon myself to try to learn and get better and then just network because I was, you know, coming from Maine and I want to meet new people. So it's kind of like exciting from that standpoint. Pro Ball has hired quite a few guys. Um, it, it appears that they have found out, you know, pro teams have found out about guys and, and kind of got coaches on their radar due to their Twitter accounts. Um, it's a phenomenon that's kind of happened the last couple of years, and, and it, I mean, those guys, I think a lot of the early on guys are still there. They, they haven't been fired, so it seems like it's going okay. Uh, is social media a place that you dig a little bit uh, to try to find guys like that are posting good content um, and, and maybe, again, try to try to find a guy that might be a candidate, or is that something, If not, if, it, whether or not you do that, is, is, is social media something that you look at through the interview process to learn more about maybe a guy that you're talking to or someone who has applied? I think it's both. I definitely, from the interview process, 100% will look at people's social media accounts. Uh, I'll look at what they post, what they like, what they don't like, uh, and not necessarily, you know, necessarily just to get a sense of them as a person. And then, um, I, I actually, the last, I mean, I've interviewed a handful of people based off their social media but not so much like the, 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 the out in the front, the more of the private folks, the ones that are kind of just, are, are kind of what I always say, the ones doing the push-ups in the corner, uh, not the ones that you would notice the most, but the ones that kind of just go about their business and have a good a presence. And so it can be something that sometimes somebody retweets something or like you know, on, my, on my screen that on Twitter that uh, somebody may, may actually uh, match it up to what I'm looking for. Maybe it's a positional coach or whatever, but um, I don't necessarily go searching for the internet uh, or for social media to to go hire coaches. But sometimes they happen to come up. Um, maybe they make a comment, um, and I see them, and I'm like, oh, I don't know them, so I'll follow them and kind of see how they interact. And they don't know that I'm following them or whatever. So, uh, but definitely as far as like cross-checking what they do post, I definitely do that to, to help in that interview in the interview process to make sure that you know, hey, I'm getting the right person, and so. That's definitely, it definitely helped in that sense. I'm going to ask this next question to hopefully give some guidance to people uh, that might, you know, they might see other guys getting hired because of their social media accounts. And I think that you probably noticed this as well, but once guys started to get hired, it, it, there were guys that started posting a lot, like this. these are drills that I'm doing, this is what I believe, and this is my philosophy, and they'd post a lot, and then they got hired. And once those first couple guys got hired, you know, it, it exploded how many people wanted to try to put stuff out there. And, and now um, you can kind of feel some underlying tones of when people are posting, like when it's when they when people genuinely wanted to share information and when they appear to be trying to impress other people and maybe trying to fish for a job that might be out there. Um, do you do you ever look at accounts and say like this guy is clearly not posting for the right reasons even though he's posting stuff that might be good it might be true i'm out on him because he's sort of a self-promoter and i'm asking that again sir like if somebody's out there and they're wanting to get a job how do you do that well i mean can you overdo it on social media and kind of turn some head coaches off because 
of, of how much the extent of what you're doing or maybe the, the tone's not right or whatever it may be? Yeah, I, I think it, it's two part. I think it's no different than recruiting. Uh, I've had many times where I've recruited players and I've had to tell them, listen, you're posting way too much. <laughs> like, I, I, I can't even keep up. You need to calm down. Or, I'll, or like, you're posting stuff that's not really appropriate. Um, like, what are you doing? Like, what's your purpose? Uh, and I think the same thing can be said about some coaches out there. And I, I don't, I'm not, um, I don't necessarily lock in on those those guys. Honestly, I, I think it comes down to if that's what's best for them and their families. Hey, post away because if that, that's what, that's the route you want to go, then that's awesome. I think at the end of the day, again, you can do um, what's necessary for each individual is different. I can't really tell them what 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 they should or shouldn't do, but I know for me personally, just seeing it. Um, it, it's at the end of the day, you have to have a con. You have to build a coach, and you can post all the stuff on the world. But if you can't coach, if you can't have good communication, if you don't even have relationships with the players, um, all the social media stuff and all the science and all the stuff behind the end of the day is great. But if you can't, you know, communicate that to somebody and, and relate that when things are going hard through some adversity, then I think that's where um, you know, and you can get you can you can cover yourself up because you can get behind the social media platform but at least through the interview process you're going to find at least I, I have a good sense of weeding, weeding those type of people out um, that are just you know the posters and whatnot uh, with social media so I think it's just a balance I think if if you're genuine about it share if you're if you're just trying to get a job then you know I can't if that's which the route you want to go but I would say be where your feet are at you know if you want to get a job go earn a job you know you mentioned a couple questions ago that a, a mentor suggested that you do, you kind of go about things this way. Can I ask who the mentor was? Yeah, Sean McNally um, um, and Dick Meter, um, Greg Frady, those three guys. Dick Meter is my, my, my boss at, at uh, University of Maine Apartments, and Sean McNally was my boss at Duke, who's now the um, special assistant to the GM with the Pirates, and then Greg Frady uh, was a coach at Georgia State University who hired me. And all three of them have been huge mentors in my life in different ways. And, and Coach Meter, uh, he really taught me about professionalism. Um, you know, he was a basketball coach, baseball coach, but he taught me about professionalism, how to be, be a pro, and um, and really allowed me to coach. And Sean McNally, you know, he mentioned to me about just every person you see, because at Duke, you know, it's a very at the time a very small academic window that we could recruit to, but. I didn't understand why I have to recruit and you know, why I have to take notes on a kid that, you know, he had no chance to get into school. But, you know, there was times where I was, when I was at Georgia State, I went back to my notes at Duke of kids that, well, they were, his grades may not work at Duke, but they work at Georgia State. And I recruited kids based off that. And I tell young coaches all the time that you never know. One year you may be at Division Three, the next year you may be at Division division one or you can be head coach at junior college and so you just never know where your path's going to go and then coach Frady he showed me a lot of the how to be the head coach off the field the business side of things how to, how to do things the right way and so each, each three of those guys are kind of like my guys that have really allowed me one they hired me took a chance on a, on a young kid or a guy that didn't have the resume that looked like a typical ACC resume or a pitching coach resume but they, they invested in me. And I think that's what I try to do with my staff and my, my, my coaches that I work with is try to invest them as people. And if you can do that, um, you know, the, those type of things are always, always will always be remembered with how I go about it. Now your background is mainly in pitching, correct, as a coach? Yeah, it, it's, I was a hitter in college uh, playing, and then I got into Division three where you kind of thrown everything. I, I was end up being a pitching coach for four years. Um, when I was at Bates, I, I had a pitching coach, but I also was involved in everything, obviously the head coach. And then at Duke, uh, my first year, uh, I was involved in outfielders. I did outfielders for both years and the hitters. And then my second year, Coach McNally allowed me to do some pitching. Um, so we had a lot of pitchers. So we split up the pitchers with myself and Sean, Sean Snedeker, um, who's now at Lamar, and we'd split the bullpens. And so we he would we kind of split up. So I got a little taste of pitching there, and then. At Georgia State, uh, I was pitching coach for two years, and then I was a pitching coach for with Team USA for the Tournament of Stars um, that I had the opportunity to do. And so it, that part of it was in, a, you know, in a, I think the 17U National Development Team as well. So there was a period of time where pitching was my thing, and then I got here at EKU, and um, you know my current pitching coach is Sean Cole, who was at University of Arizona, 
won a national championship there, and then before that I had Adam Everlett, so who's at the, he's at University of Alabama Birmingham right now. So I've had great pitching coaches uh, for my staff, so it's allowed me to kind of get back to doing some more of the offensive side of things. And uh, but yeah, I, I think as a baseball, I'm a baseball coach, you know, first and foremost. So I've, I've had I've been fortunate to have experience in both throughout my career. A lot of young coaches out there, and understandably so, will will just you know want to focus on one particular area. I was a hitter in college, so I'm just I, I want to coach hitters. I don't know much about pitching. Do you recommend that uh, if someone has an opportunity to coach a different position that they didn't play, they're not familiar with? Do you recommend giving that a shot? Do you understanding that I mean maybe some bad things could happen there? Maybe if you don't don't do a good job, you could get fired. I don't know. But would you recommend that? Uh, especially if someone wants to be a head coach someday, like do you do you feel like that has helped you to get where you are, and and it probably has helped you to recruit and hire people as well. Hundred percent, yeah, no questions. I think the same advice I, I ask I ask um, I, I talk to recruits about, or even younger parents, or parents are asking about their younger kids, is should they play one position or should they you know, specialize? It's like no, you gotta you gotta play multiple sports, you gotta play multiple positions, and I think coaching baseball, if you're a true baseball coach, you want to learn to get behind. So like part of my, um, I have a graduate uh, assistant program that are, you know, they're considered managers, but they're required to go to every position throughout the fall and learn each position. So cause that next job, after they gra- get their grad- grad- graduate degree, it could be as a infield coach and they played outfield. Well, they better be prepared to go through that interview process. So at least in our program, we try to stress our guys um, to make sure you're, you're, well, you're well versed. And then at the same time, it just gives you more opportunity. I mean, there's such a demand for a pitching coach, a quality pitching coach versus an offensive coach. So if you're looking at this thing and say, well, I really want to get coaching college baseball, and I used to be a catcher, well, you know how to call a game, so be a pitching coach. And you can always go back to being a hitting coach down the road, but it's helped me, not only so much helped me, uh, you know, so my pitching coach goes on the road to recruit, I'm, I'm capable to run a bullpen session. I'm capable to run the pitchers. I can call a game if I want to on the week. You know, I can do those type of things. Um, but at the same time, it also allows your, yourself to to grow in areas that uh, maybe you know you learn a lot. I mean, I, I spent about a year uh, before I went from you know like that in between the two years at Duke, just talking to other pitching coaches, really really diving into it, so I can be prepared. I think that's kind of the key. Is like anything, you want to be prepared to what you know your next opportunity is and having that those years of experience at that high level it, I, I mean it helped me recruiting now so I can talk to a parent and say hey you know I've been a pitching coach you know in the ACC or at, the, at, the, at Georgia State and I've been a pitching coach for Team USA and so like those type of things in a conversation you know it's not just talk it's, it's real I can say here I call pitches again you know I, you know things of that nature so it's very important I think to be versatile I love that and I think it's a great advice and it's something that I've seen some other guys do make the transition from, you know, from pitching coach to hitting coach or vice versa. And it seems, I mean, it seems to help a lot. Obviously it gives you perspective on things, if nothing else. And, um, and, and it seems like guys, it just opens up a lot more jobs really in a lot of ways because college baseball is tough. It's a tough industry to move around in. You only have so many openings every year. It's tough to move up. And, and the more things you put on your resume, the better. Um, I'd like to, to just flip, gears a little bit and talk about, um, you know, things at Eastern Kentucky are trending upward. Um, you've increased your win totals the last couple of years and started 2020 uh, very hot, 12-2, and two, and, uh, and and things are looking, you know, like they're going in a really good direction for EKU, who was, you know, for a while was a really good team in the Ohio Valley Conference and, and maybe went through some years where, where they, you know, fell off a little bit. Can you can you talk about anything in particular that's been uh, maybe a turning point for you guys or, or points of emphasis between you and the other coaches that if like if we're going to get this thing going in the right direction, these are things that we need to do. Yeah, I think the um, you know having got having seen uh, in our in our conference Tennessee Tech a couple of years ago um, when they won and they went to the Super Regional, uh, I think it was twenty eighteen or twenty seventeen. I forget what it was, um, but. I looked at their lineup, I looked at their roster, um, and when we first got to Eastern, we went really heavy junior college. And we kind of did that for the first couple of years in a recruiting model because we felt like, oh, we needed some players and we got to get them in and high school kids aren't necessarily ready. But for us at our level, in our league, you know, it, 
that wasn't the case. Like Tennessee Tech had mostly uh, high school, four-year high school players and a couple junior college kids sprinkled in there. So we said, oh, let's take that model. And so we, we re-ramped uh, the, the last three classes that have been 80% high school, 20% junior college. So we've, felt we've invested more in our current kids, developed them, and try to help them um, help us win. And then I think you know, our, our competitive nature, so my first year, our goals were simple, just know how to compete. Uh, and we competed literally in everything we possibly could do from bowling to uh, off the field to, to, to playing horse, playing knockout. Um, I mean, you name it, we try to teach you guys how to, how to compete. And I think that was something that we instilled in our players every single year. Uh, I grew up in a football family. My dad was a Hall of Famer at Delaware State. Both my brothers played college football. Uh, I coached high school football and college football during the time when I was at Bates. I was a, head, I was a, I was a running backs coach for two years, uh, and I did four years of high school football. So my mentality has always been competition. And so how do you get that competition? Sometimes with junior college players or two-year guys, it's hard because they're going to come in and it's been one or two years. But the high school kids, you can kind of help develop that. And I think – um, this year's team, we had the most competitive group that we had. We had competition, obviously. Those things really go hand in hand. And at the end of the day, we have to have talent. So those are all things that uh, – and depth of talent. We've had talent, but just the depth of talent. We haven't had that like we had this year. Um, so I think those were the biggest turning points for us, was just kind of taking that change from one model to the next from a recruiting standpoint uh, and recruiting mostly high school players um, that really allowed us to, to grow as a program the last couple of years. The competitive side of things and, and getting guys on the team who who compete, who aren't afraid to compete, um, why do you think that that is so important and why was that a point of emphasis for you? Just whether it, whether it was recruiting competitive guys or, you know, maybe maybe ramping up their competitiveness or, or whatever it may be with all the things you said you were kind of competing from everything from bowling to, you know, games of knockout or whatever it was. Why was that a part of, of your plan for, you know, for taking this team to where you wanted it to go? Uh, I think that the, the, the biggest thing I can say to that is just that in this society and people will always label kids and say, well, they're not competitive. Well, I think as leaders, our job is to make sure that it, your your team is your program. You can make them how you want to make them. You can create that environment to where uh, it is competitive and it, and it, and it hurts to lose. And it's okay to feel bad if you do lose. And if you lose, be a professional about it. If you win, be a professional about it. And it's like those type of behaviors um, we instill into our players. I, I felt that um, the conversation that I had when I first got hired, a lot of our kids didn't have that mentality. A lot of our kids, uh, when I inherited the program, were just happy to be at the Division One level. And, and that was their end goal. And so I think then it was recruiting a different type of caliber kid that wanted to play professionally, whether they got there or not. At least they have that want to. And I think then you get competitive people in a room. Um, then you have guys that, hey, I want to win. I want to win. Well, I want to be a big leaguer. I want to be a big leaguer. And, I, and so then then that, that then you have the, the plan of, in place of coaches and say, okay, here's our plan. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to train coach, get stronger, get faster. And then, you know, hey, if you don't, if you win, it, and then you have tangible success. Like, so we beat beaten five ranked teams. Well, our program now is not scared to play anybody in the country because the history and the guys that in our, in a, you know, been there and the current guys now have seen the results. When we play to our best, we win, no matter who we play. And same thing if we don't play well. And so it's never who the best team is who plays the best. And so that type of mentality that we have in our guys, I think we've, we've done a good job of cultivating that in our program. But um, and I think that, that comes down to just, you know, we're not uh, a, a big program. We're, we're right in the middle of a major, but I think that gives us that little bit of an edge, especially when it comes down to competition because in our late things to life, is no CEO is going to take it easy. No CEO is going to just hang out. If you want to be a CEO, you better better bust your tail and have a plan and a vision with action behind the words. And so those type of opportunities are, are for our kids to see that as well. So I try to relate life and competition and all those things kind of blend in. Um, and then we just try to just hold them to accountable, hold them to a standard, and go out there every single day to make sure that we're doing that as coach and as players. Do you think the competitiveness is something that you can coach, or is that one of those things to you that, like, it's it's got to be there 
before. He might be able to get a little more out of him. But, I mean, like you said, you you think it's uh, a lot of people will say, well, this kid's not competitive. Maybe that's part of the coach's job. I mean, do you do you feel like you need to recruit players that have that already? Or do you feel like you can recruit a really good player who maybe – and maybe you can you can increase his competitiveness by some things that you do on your staff? Yeah, I think it, it depends. I mean, I think there's some kids that if you're talented, the, the talent is always going to be there. Talent is always going to trump you know, I mean, I love Rudy in the movie, but at the end of the day, the All-Americans in Notre Dame are going to play over Rudy, and that's just the nature of athletics, and that's just the reality of it. So he was probably the most competitive person in the world, but he's not stepping on the field to help his team win, and I think that sometimes can get lost. Like, I have a hard worker, well, and he's competitive, but there's a talent issue. So the, the person that has talent is always going to have a chance initially. Well, then then that talent, like anything, when they get to the Division One level or any college level, really, there's going to be a lot of really good players that are similar. And so then it comes down to what's that, what's the separator. And sometimes the talent will, will rise above it and, and over time. Um, but at the end of the day, the team, like the teams and the players, I always feel that we, we call it our program. Like, you know, on Friday night, it's always about talent. The best team on Friday night, the best arm is nine, nine times out of ten is going to win. And then Saturday is about a day of adjustment. And then Sunday is about your day, your will to compete. And so those, and to win a series, right, or a super series, you, you want, you got to win on Sundays. And so that, like, even those kids that have talent, they don't have that competitive nature. At least in our place, I, I've seen guys uh, over time that have bought into everything because they're all in on what we talk about. They've, they've seen that, they take that approach to where they're going to be competitive. Now, is it going to change them as a, peep, as a person? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't think that's always going to be the case. I think every kid individually is different. Uh, every opportunity to, to, to teach a kid is different. But um, it's always easier to have a kid that's talented and really competitive. But we may not always get that type of kid. We may get the talented kid or the competitive kid needs a little bit of polish from a baseball standpoint. But if they have that in them, it makes it a little bit easier. But I think you can do both. I, I really do. I, I'm a believer that... Yeah, obviously if a kid has no competitive in his body, like not at all, then yeah, he better be able to throw 95. Like he better be really good as a pitcher or as a hitter and whatnot. But you can take a kid up from a little bit to a little bit more in, 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 just, just because, you know, two things that people love is playing time and scholarship money. So if you're on scholarship or you're not playing, well, if you don't do these things, something's going to change. Either you're not going to, you know, you're, you're not going to play or you're not going to be with our program. So you better figure out how to, you know, so those internal juices that are in your in, in your body you have to be able to come out anyway with playing time uh since you brought that up you have a really competitive guy in your team say for example and and he's not getting the playing time he wants and, and most guys aren't used to that because you know most guys that make it to the division one level are probably they're be the best player on every team they've ever been on and uh even on their travel teams they might be surrounded by some other division one guys but they're still you know, they're playing a lot. Obviously, travel ball is – everybody plays a little bit. It's not quite like – it's not quite the same as high school ball. Uh, but, you know, when it's, when it's about playing uh, – when, you, when you're able to earn every inning of playing time, like in high school, um, you know, those guys are used to being on the field constantly. What are conversations that you have with guys who are those ultra-competitive people who want to be out there and they want to be competing and they're just not there talent-wise? Because that can be very frustrating. And immediately the society that we live in, you know, for better or worse, I don't know, uh, probably but maybe not better, but the society we live in now says if you're not getting what you want, immediately you need to get out of that situation. You need to change the situation you're in instead of staying where you are and kind of seeing it through. So the uh, I think a lot of people's reactions now are, okay, I'm here as a freshman. I'm not playing as a freshman, so I'm immediately looking for somewhere to transfer so that I can play. Um, what are conversations you have with guys to sort of talk them off that ledge and, and give them some, you know, hopefully some uh, a positive mindset where this is you're, you're going to be fine here if you just stick it out? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it starts the recruiting process for me. Uh, it always has. Um, I, I tell them I'm always going to tell them I'm going to hold them accountable. I'm going to make sure that they're doing the basic things in our program, which is competitive, passionate, and that I can trust them. Uh, and then I tell their parents that here's the reality of what it's going to look like and what's expected and the standards. And then it comes down to if you're not playing, I'm going to I'm going to sit you down. And if, if you want, I'll tell you exactly what you need what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Uh, and that sometimes is, is a little bit dicey in the recruiting process, by, you know, because I'm like really on, honest and open about that and I tell them if you don't want that don't come here 
because it's not going to work out for you. Because if you're not playing, I'm going to tell you exactly why you're not playing and how to get better. And then it's on you to get take that information and go go do something different with it. And you, you know, there's always that occasion where a kid's competitive uh, that, that's not talented there. But those competitive kids that, that, that want to get better and that really want to play, instead of just saying, you know, make those excuses like, oh, well, I'm not playing, so I'm just going to go leave. And then I'll say, to, I'll, I'll ask them about life. I'll say, okay, you have a, a job, you didn't get the promotion, you're just going to not work. You're just going to work, you know, you're going to be, you know, basically be happy to be, you know, there and not try to get better. And then that kind of clicks a little different, especially as they get older, a little bit different on their mindset, their, their thought process. But, uh, it, it's an important skill. I mean, I think if you if you don't have that understanding, like, hey, what I need to do to improve my situation, like, it, it, then you're missing the opportunity to get better. And I think that's the part that I try to stress to our guys is there's only nine guys can play, 27 guys can travel, and I go through it every year, the same conversation. I say, hey, there's 35 guys on our roster, there's 27 that will travel, nine will start, we'll have three weekend starters, and, you know, but... What, what's your role going to look like? Can you be a star? And that's a hard thing for kids. But I think as coaches, when I coach high school basketball, I had a kid that he couldn't shoot, couldn't dribble, but he had great screens. And literally, that was his one job. So we had certain set plays that when he would go in there, I knew he would set the tough screen to help our other guy get the shot off. And I would praise him in practice. I would tell him he was the best you know, screener in our program. And I highlighted him in our banquets. Right now, I could. No different than as coaches, our pinch runner uh, or that guy that does a left-on-left situation out of the bullpen. You know, whatever that is, you can create that in your environment um, to players. And then, you know, again, also, again, the cream rises to the top. There's no doubt. But everyone can have a role. And I think that's kind of where we strive to try to really in, 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 in get that to our players and help them understand that, hey, just because you're not playing, here's your role. Here's what, how it's going to look and how, here's how it can get better. And I think I then... And for those kids that want to come in and they want to leave after a year, I say, go ahead. This is not for you. That's fine. I don't, I, I've learned when I was younger, I learned a long time ago not to hold kids back. Now, my first, second year at University of Anaheim, I had a kid that was like rookie of the year, was awesome. And then all of a sudden he wanted to, you know, not play baseball. And I fought it and I fought it. Coach Meter at the time, he's like, coach, just let him go. Because he's not going to care about you he's going to worry about himself more than you. So don't, don't worry about him. And I kind of, I know it's very, not a great way to think about it, but it's true. They don't want to be here. Move on. And I don't care who you've been, I, I, who, who that person has ever been in my career. I've said, Hey, I'll support you. I mean, I want what's best for you. I think that's kind of a, it's a balance and act you have to find as a head coach, but you know, you have to have faith in what, you know, the kids you recruit initially. So that doesn't happen that often. When you're going through the recruiting process, Edwin, um, you're recruiting a guy. You have him on campus. You know you like him, but maybe it's a, it's a walk-on, like low scholarship type of guy. Is there anything that a player has has ever kind of said or done on his recruiting visit to make you think more of him? You know, personality-wise, or anything else where maybe you uh, you make a better offer than you initially thought you would or or were expecting to before he showed up that day. Um, there's moments where I've had players on visits, yeah, 100%, that, you know, baseball-wise is this. But then maybe I saw how they interact with his, their, their, his mom, you know, and, like, you know, just the interaction they had in a, in a positive. And, you know, I had one kid who, who was, his mom was in a, in a wheelchair, and how he interacted with her to make sure that she was taken care of, I was like, this kid's a superstar. Um, and he was, <laughs> you know, and, and, and so like, like those type of moments are moments that I, I you only can really see on the recruiting visit. And, and I think those type of things, just how they interact with people, how they, how they are with, you know, when they meet our players, you know, the feedback I get from players, you know, like they're like, coach, this guy's really about it. Like some kids, you know, they're kind of like shy or and whatnot, they have, you know, some kids have personality, but those type of moments where it's like, and then the other way too, is there's times where it's the opposite. You know, where I'm, and I'm sitting there telling a kid about the program, he's falling asleep, and I'm like, man, I, I don't know if this is going to work out. <laughs> you know, or like, just not engage. And I think those type of moments, uh, one way or the other, um, at least for me in the 20, 17 years I've been doing this, it's like, you, you kind of know pretty quickly who can, who's going to be about that, the genuine, um, 
you know, things versus not. I think that, that kind of maps is, is easy to tell. But, um, yeah, I've had a few of those for sure that have been pretty special and they end up being, you know, A-plus people and never, you know, never fails. So. Kind of switch gears again on you one last time uh, in the last, you know, handful of minutes that we've got here on the podcast. You've been to you play between your playing career and your coaching career. You've been at quite a few levels, well, a handful yeah. of levels of baseball. Yeah. Um, and this may be a common question that you get, but what what's the biggest difference that you have seen? Because even at the Division One level, you've been at two different Division One. Well, yeah, you've been at two different Division One levels. There's a difference between Power Five baseball and and mid major yeah. Division One baseball. Uh, from all the way from Division Three through Power Five. What's the biggest difference that you see as you as you go up levels? Um, good question. I, I think the, the the biggest change. You know, I, my my first job was I coached middle school basketball, but I also coached high school baseball before I started coaching college. Um, I think the change is just simple. Um, the numbers of the talented players and the mistakes are, are there's more talented players, there's less mistakes being made. Uh, in general, so like, if you're a pitcher at the Division Three level, you can get away with certain things that you may not be able to get away with at the major level, at the Division One level. And same thing as you get to the Power Five, the margin for for error is very small. And I think the same thing with the talented players. Like, your recruiting has to be. I mean, there's more room for error at the Division Three level because you got more window, right? I mean, Division One, mid major, you have some window. You, you can have a couple of years to develop, but at the Division at a power five level, you have a little bit more, you got to be really, really locked in on the kids you're bringing in and the type of people. And so I think those are the type of things that I think is a difference. Uh, and then obviously the depth. Uh, I think, you know, there's division three teams out there. I mean, there's, there's a team out in Chapman, Chapman this year. They had a fence rounder and another guy signed. And that's like, so there's talented players all over the country, talented levels. I think the difference is in general, you're going to have more depth and, and quality of depth at a higher level as you go up. Doesn't mean a team, a junior college can't beat a, a Division two team or, or a Division two team can't beat a Division one team. But in general, that's kind of what you see at, at the most at the higher levels that I've been a part of. Sorry, Dale. What do you think is the most common misconception of Division one baseball, if there is one? Just just based on what you what you see, what you hear when you have kids visit um, or get kid in a program. What, what's the most common misconception about Division One baseball if there is one? I think the scholarship part. I, I think, you know, a lot of kids have no idea about the percentages, you know, for the most part, even though they're getting recruited, but they hear like, you know, 40% or 45%, and you're like, what does that mean? You know, so I think that part of it, like in general, like the public, you know, if I go to high schools, you know, people think that you have to offer 95 miles an hour, and that's not realistic. Um, I think the, between the, the scholarships and then just the outside people think that everyone at Division One is you know, so 90, 90 miles an hour as a pitcher and hit a lot of home runs, and I think that's not realistic. But I think that the scholarship part would be the biggest misconception. Like People think that everyone's on a full ride because of football and basketball, and so I think that, that part is always you know, a harder conversation to understand for people and then to try to process, like, hey, this is, this is what it is. You're going to have to pay you know, X amount of dollars to come play here. Um, so I think that those would be the biggest ones that I would say. Can you talk about the scholarship situation a little bit, and maybe we'll just, we'll end it here. Um, just talk about, um, you know, how many scholarships you have to offer to how many kids, and and maybe maybe what Eastern Kentucky's plan is to break that up. Like, do you have a, you know, we want to spend this much money or this many scholarships on pitchers, and same thing with catchers or any. Do you mind talking about that a little bit, just to give people an, yeah. an idea? Yeah, we're allowed 11, we have 11.7 scholarship is the most, you know, total full scholarships you're able to have at the Division One level. Um, you can have 35 men on your roster, only 27 of, of them on scholarships. So you have um, basically 27 guys to break up 11.57 scholarships. So um, the minimum is amount you can do is 25% of, of the total cost to go to school, whatever school you're at. So... Um, that, that those those are the biggest things you have to work with. Uh, I, I've been at places where we kind of um, have it based off so much money in pitching, so much money. I think for us and every program I've been, at, I think there's you have to do what's best for your program and um, find the best players you can. And that maybe maybe a shortstop, there might be a catcher, there might be a pitcher. I, I think 
I try not to get caught up into the dollar amount. I, I, I tell uh, my recruiting coordinator, Julius McDougal, who's done a great job. He, he Basically, it's a puzzle. It's your job to figure out the puzzle. We'll, we'll all help put it together, but you need to make sure that it works at the end of the day, that, that we're kind of on budget. So uh, it's a challenge. There's, and there's no question. There's tough conversations. Um, you know, I think, you know, with our situation, Eastern, you know, we're pretty affordable for in-state and out-of-state, so we have some flexibility. Um, I know some schools, you have to kind of, you have to go more in-state than out-of-state for us, all total dollar amount. Um, so it's a challenge. It's a, it's a matrix, if you will. It, 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 it makes it difficult um, because it's not just clear-cut, hey, here's a full ride. Like, that would be fun. Like, I don't know what that would be like, the, hey, here's a full ride, you want to come play. Because, and then I think you have more parity. But the teams that are able to be creative with academic money, and then maybe other other monies that may be out there. Those are all things that are um, important to understand. But yeah, the scholarship piece of itself is, is definitely a challenge. No question about it. And other other levels have the same types of challenges. And another thing that people don't get is that not all Division One schools are are fully funded. Meaning not all right. Division One schools have that eleven point seven scholarships. Just like. Not all Division twos have nine scholarships. Just like at, at junior college, there, there's a big variance between what people, you know, what schools can offer and what they actually have, and uh, that's that's for sure a big thing that I I wish that you know more parents and kids were aware of before they got into the recruiting process just to just to be prepared. You get offered forty percent as a freshman, like that's not a bad offer, but some people come out of there probably shaking their heads, like what in the world? Right. Yeah. Well, Edwin, this has been great. This is Edwin Thompson, everybody. He's the head coach at Eastern Kentucky. Um, I, I've really appreciated all the time and, and everything that you've shared with us today. I think you've got a great perspective, a, a very mature coach, um, and, and just someone who I I just appreciate the kind of the work and the effort and the and the path that you've taken. I think is is the the path uh, less traveled for sure. There aren't a lot of coaches who can say that they have done something like you have done. And to you know, elevated themselves to being a Division One head coach, and, and it's it's been great. Everything that you've shared, and uh, I just I very much appreciate you being a guest on the podcast. Well, thanks, Jeff, for all you do, and, and um, you know, like I said, any coach out there that starting off and coaching middle school middle school basketball or high school baseball or travel ball that wants to be a Division One coach, call me, email me. Um, I'll tell you the path. It, it's like Jeff said, not easy, but it's definitely one that if you stick to it, you're professional, you're hardworking, uh, and you're a good person, you have a good skill set things got to take care of themselves. So I've been very fortunate to have some great people give me great opportunities. As I said earlier, my, my mentors that I've had in my life, and I've got great coaches and great players. So it makes my job a lot of fun every day to come to the ballpark. So thanks for all you do for spreading the word of baseball. Yes, sir. I appreciate all your time, and best of luck to you and the team. Same to you.